Welcome, friends. My name's Tammy Simon, and I'm the founder of Sounds True and creator and co-host of the Inner MBA program. It's my delight to share with you this exclusive Inner MBA Socially Conscious CEO podcast series. The series is built from interviews that Soren Gordhammer, co-host of the Inner MBA, and I have conducted over the past three years. The series features over 40 transformational CEOs from around the world, running a diverse range of companies, all with a shared mission, that business be a force of collective good. These conversations are rich and meaningful, open and candid about personal failures, discoveries under pressure, and breakthroughs. They feature leaders who have faced enormous workplace challenges and have emerged as inspiring wisdom figures, bringing a depth of real-world insight to our work together in the Inner MBA. I've gleaned so many practical ideas from these conversations, and I trust you will too. Thanks in advance for listening, and please let us know about your experience with the Inner MBA Socially Conscious CEO Podcast Series. I love Lorna Davis, period. That's how I want to start. And I'm so excited for you, the Inner MBA beloved community, for those of you who have not had a chance to meet her and be with her and experience her presence and magic to have this opportunity. And even before I formally introduce her and tell you about her accomplished background, I want to open it up and have Lorna greet you and bring us together in this new year as an inner MBA community and help us connect and settle. So Lorna, I'm going to pass it over to you. Thanks, Tammy. I'm also really enjoying looking at all the postage stamps. And Margot, the tea is silent. I love that as well. It's really clever to put things at the bottom of your picture. Um, so I'm going to invite you all to stretch. Um, I'm a big fan of, of the simple physical stretch. Um, and many of us are going to be spending many an hour in front of our computers. Um, and so getting into the habit of stretching, oh, great. And some of you, like Mary Beth, are actually standing up to stretch. I'm not standing up because I spent a long time getting my head apparently in the middle of this camera and I'm not going to move because apparently I'm going to get in trouble from Kelsey. Um, so once you've taken a big stretch, I want you to settle down into your seat, put your feet on the ground. If they're, uh, if they're uh, bare, that would be even better. Put your feet on the ground. And 
I invite you to look around your space. And the first object that your eye finds that you can pick up, pick it up. So the first object that my eye found was this little clock, uh, an old fashioned clock with a battery and everything. Because I like this kind of clock, doesn't make noises. And I want you to get really, really curious about this object. You know, the fact that it is in the space that you're sitting in right now means it's probably important to you in some way. It's either useful or has some sentimental value. And look at it with a sense of wonder. Don't just pass your eye over it like we often do. If I think about this clock, that I have in my hand, the amount of pieces of plastic and sort of design that have gone into it are actually pretty amazing. You know, I've never actually looked at this clock properly. And it is a, a truly magnificent piece of engineering. And as I look at it, I feel myself soften. So just notice, your own breathing and notice your belly, let your belly kind of relax and settle. Some of you are perhaps wearing trousers that even have a zip and a button, which is a radical idea, I think. One of the great gifts of COVID is, I don't think we ever need to wear trousers that have got zips and a button, but that's just personal. So just let your belly relax and look again at the beauty, because whatever it is that you have in your hands has a beauty. Feel it. You might smell it. You might hold it against your face. And you can actually fall in love with it. I love my clock. Take one last big breath. Close your eyes, put your object down. Take one last stretch oh, with your eyes closed. I know that when your eyes open again, the world is new, fresh right now. Greet it with wonder. Hi, Timmy. Lorna, thank you. Here we are with each other, greeting this moment, this inner MBA session with a sense of fresh possibility and wonder. Let me introduce you formally now to Lorna Davis. She's quite an accomplished person. She has lived and worked in seven countries on five continents. She served as president of multinational consumer goods companies for 20 plus years, including Danone and Kraft. She was a key leader in Danone's purpose journey. And in 2017, Lorna served as CEO and chairwoman of Danone North America, where she established that $6 billion entity as a public benefit corporation. And then it achieved B Corp status in 2018 
making it the largest B Corp in the world. Lorna is now a speaker and a coach and is passionate about bringing indigenous wisdom into business and helping leaders live and lead with love. And I would say presence in my experience of interacting with Lorna. This is the third time now that I've had the great joy of being with her in conversation as part of the inner MBA community. There's something about her ability to bring us into present time with our experience right now and the magic that flows from that, the potential magic. Her TED talk on radical interdependence, it's called A Guide to Collaborative Leadership, has been viewed by more than 2 million people. And also I want to, as part of my introduction, share that Lorna is deeply committed to wildlife conservation and is heartbroken by rhino poaching. And perhaps Lorna will have a chance to talk some about that and your work in that arena. To begin, I want to pull out learning more from you about your passionate interest in indigenous wisdom and the intersection between our life now as people who work in the work world in a capitalist society and indigenous wisdom. I also want to make sure before you even respond to that, to let everybody here know that this is your chance to interact with Lorna. You can put questions in the chat and they'll be brought up into a Google Doc that I have here where we have some previous questions that have been submitted that I'm going to get to. But also you can use the hand raiser function. So under reactions, you can raise your hand and I'll call on you and we'll try to bring in as many people live into the session to ask your questions. So here in the new year, bring your voice forward, bring your questions forward. This is an opportunity for you. Okay, Lorna, indigenous wisdom. You know, I notice there's a part of me that's like, yeah, someone like Lorna Davis would take this on. What? Tell me what you're learning about bringing these two together, our lives and work in, dare I say something like corporate America and indigenous wisdom. So the best, the, the answer to the question that occurs to me right now, Tammy, is, um, is that um, what I've learned from hanging out with indigenous people is that they see the world as the interconnected system that it is. And that my upbringing and certainly my corporate life was explicitly designed to carve the world up into little chunks that are separate and disconnected. And I kind of bought that. I bought that for decades. I bought that uh, uh, companies had edges um, that were reflected in things like PLs. I bought that titles were um, significant and that they separated us as you know CEOs or senior directors or or you know, factory floor workers or whatever it was that people called people. And I learned that we were very interested. I became very interested and was taught to be very interested in judging and separating good and bad and that everything of 
of, of our lives in corporate really was designed to push away things we don't like, people we don't like, competitors, customers that don't want to buy us, and grab at things that we have decided we do like and we do want. And I think given that people who are on this call and on this course are on this call and on this course, everybody gets suspicious about that. They say, well, this is something about this sort of carving up of the world that doesn't feel right, that doesn't resonate with how it seems to really work. And um, so what I have noticed is that when I watch how Indigenous leaders lead, they lead from a place of inclusion, from a place of accepting the magnificence and beauty of being a human and the horror and the pain of being a human. They accept everything from the sun to the floods to the, you know, the snow, the heat, life, death, all of it. So that's kind of a long answer to the question, but it has drawn me and continues to draw me because it feels like a more complete representation of how the world really is. I want to ask a further question about that, Lorna, because what I notice is that uh, I become suspicious, the way my mind works. I become suspicious and I tune out when things are overly abstract and analytical. And yet I've found that many of the most successful people in uh, corporate finance, in the business world, think that way. And I often feel out of sync. And quite honestly, I feel judged. Like you're the CEO of this company and you're out raising all this monies, et cetera. And look, you don't think like this in terms of how you view future strategy and your understanding of, you know, some of the uh, detailed margins in your business that are sliced and diced in all of these different ways. And you're coming from a deeply kind of feeling intuitive place. And that may work well, like, you know, in the HR department, but it doesn't work well in the CEO role. And I, I notice ways that I've internalized those judgments for many years. It's been a long process to throw off those shackles. And so I wonder if you can talk some about that, about how we learn to honor what I would say is kind of our, our whole-brained thinking with this right brain being just as important in the left as the left brain in a, in a world, a financially-based business world that seems to really overvalue, in my view, or historically overvalue left-brain thinking. Mm, mm. It's interesting that you you talked about it. Um, you started off talking about it uh, at levels of abstraction, and then you started to talk about left and right. And I think both of them are interesting ways to kind of come at it. I think um, I think business has been incredibly successful at um, uh, spinning a narrative that's very persuasive, right? And we valued, I mean, the very fact that we value money the way we value it is evidence of that. You know, we have imbued this thing called money with a whole lot of meaning that it doesn't have, um, so a whole lot of status, a whole lot of power that it doesn't have. And I think that the people who kind of, you know, in the business world itself, and I'm not a finance person either, um, and I was often intimidated 
by by the people who had all sorts of fancy complicated things uh, to say. Um, but I learned that that underneath their sort of determination that they were right was often an enormous amount of insecurity. And they often are, you know, one of the things I've noticed about, about leadership in general, anyhow, I can feel myself having sped up because I don't really have a great answer to your question. Isn't that funny how we do that? So you ask a question, I think I'm supposed to have a really, you know, nifty, nifty little answer. And I don't. And so I start to panic slightly. Ah, okay. Then as soon as I notice I'm panicking slightly, I can call it, come back and go, oh, ah, good, interesting question. Let's look at that together, right? Um, and now as I see that, as I say that, I'm grounded now. Now we're now I'm now I'm happy to engage in that question in a different way. Uh, I notice this is a thing I do a lot when I find myself sped up. Speed is never my friend. But coming back to leadership, I think um, I think being able to operate at different levels of altitude is a really useful leadership skill. And uh, we all have areas in which we're most comfortable. And then we have other areas where we're less comfortable. But being able to navigate up and down, and for the younger people on this call who are kind of thinking about their careers uh, as if, you know, with a long runway ahead of them, get curious about which altitude you're the most comfortable at. Are you the most comfortable really talking about the, the, the sort of, uh, gritty human connections, or are you comfortable looking at a spreadsheet? Are you comfortable looking at big strategic details, big strategic perspectives, or are you comfortable at looking at the money, you know, the minor details of costs and PLs for this month? Helping to knowing where you like to be is a good thing to to know, and then get kind of good enough at the areas that you're not great at. I mean, I think that this is a really important thing. You know, you run a business. You've had to get good enough at certain areas. You mm -hmm. might not love them. You might not, they might not be your preference, but you're good enough. Uh, there's some areas in which you can have people who are just kind of okay to kind of work with you on an area that you're pretty good at. In other areas, like from when I was running businesses, because I'm not a finance person, my finance person was my most important person. They had to be really, really, really good because I was really not good at all. And so helping us to kind of understand how we can surround ourselves with people who are good at areas that we're not good at, um, I think it's a really important leadership skill. And by the way, what I noticed is that people who are great finance people loved working with me because I needed them. Everybody wants to be needed, you know. They like to work for people who, who really do value them. I was a marketing person originally. Frankly, I think I was probably a terrible marketing boss because I had so many opinions about marketing. I thought I knew. And so I would interfere and I would, you know, kind of paddle in their pond. There's a beauty and a purity about delegating in areas that you're really not good at. Now, one follow-up question, Lorna. You mentioned we give money a power that it uh, doesn't really need to have. And I thought, well, in business, money does have uh, 
a whole heck of a lot of power. You know, when I introduced you and I mentioned the size, the largest B Corp in the world and, yeah. uh, you know, and in our businesses, the cash flow is the oxygen of our companies and we need uh, money in our lives. So what, what did you mean by that? Um, so one of the things that humans are really great at is dealing with paradox and dealing with apparent contradictions. This is one of them. Um, I, I spend almost all of my time working one-on-one -on -one now with people. And the power that individuals give money as a misguided attempt to value themselves shocks me saddens me. If we all think about the amount of money that we actually need to live, to feed ourselves, to have a roof over our heads and to have a little bit of a holiday, which is what a lot of people, most people want a little holiday every year, you know. Um, money is actually quite a simple thing. We all have fairly basic needs. But when we imagine that more money is going to make us better, more successful, more, 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 more anything, we miss the point altogether. And I think that that narrative's been driven and embedded into business culture, and we've absorbed it. And we think that more is better. And more is not better at a business level, and more is not better at a, at a personal level. Um, it certainly has a, a utility. But blindly following more money doesn't make sense. And yet many of us do it. Okay, I'm going to keep pushing a little here. Uh, more is better at a business level, more money, more impact, uh, more ability to enrich our, our workplace. I mean, yeah, more, more seems to me like it is better. I can reinvest, I can reach more people, we're growing. Mm. That leads me to the whole question of impact. <laughs> you know, I was thinking this is the third time that you and I have um, spoken in the first week of the year. And this morning I was thinking, I think I know less every year. You know, I have less certainty every year that we talk. Because I don't know what impact is. You know, you have, I don't know how many courses you run a year. I don't know how many people you speak to a year, but many, many, many. And when we look back over your long career and all of the people that you've interviewed and all of the courses that you've run, how will we assess whose lives you've touched? What a difference you've made in the world. It won't be by the numbers. It won't be by the sheer volume of humans. I mean, there are people listening on this call right now. And for some people listening, this is the most important conversation they're going to have all year. And it might be one that's more important, that's really important in their whole lives. And there are other people who are scrolling through Instagram. We count them the same. You know, they look here. We've got 147 participants 
each of those people counts one. It's not, it's, it's not a quantitative issue, it's a qualitative one. So yeah, money has utility and yes, it has, it needs to flow. But our obsession with more being better has its limitations and we know it. We know it. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting to me that you brought up this impact and, you know, what's big, what's small, and how we don't know that. Because here in your own life, you went from being in hugely strategic, big scale-like positions to now doing, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching, one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, I, I, I wonder, you know, do you have the thought like, God, I could be having influence in this way or that way in a leadership role, and I'm sitting with, you know, one person. And do you feel kind of like I've moved, you know, I've, I've moved into this, you know, do, do you feel less than in some way? And do you have to work through that? No. No, and I think the gift for me uh, is that I got enough of what I thought I wanted to realize that just getting more of what you don't want is never a great strategy, you know? I mean, I had, I had everything that I thought I wanted, you know? I had the money, the power, the title, the experiences. And I justified uh, what I did. You know, I remember my, I was talking to my stepson the other day and he lived with us when I lived in China for six years. And, and I told him that one sentence that he said to me changed my life. And he didn't know when he was about 13 or 14, he said to me, I'm ashamed of what you do selling Oreos to Chinese people, making them fat. And I remember thinking to myself, adolescent brat, <laughs> and I said, listen, kid, it's that money that's paying for your fancy new shoes and for your motorcycle and for your fancy school. But something shifted in me about what I actually was doing. And I started to think, wow, while I had a big company and a lot of people, and I like to think that I made a difference in their lives day to day, and of course, it's not to be it's not to be minimized that we we those of us who work in companies work for work to employ people in order for them to make money in order for them to take care of their families so there is a cycle and money is part of that cycle but the obsessive desire to turn oreos into a billion dollar brand and then a 3 billion dollar brand I started to see that it wasn't what I really wanted. And so now as I look on back on my life, I have no clue, Tammy, about how, how I've spent this life and how it will be judged because it's not really my business. My business is to, is to trust that what moves me today is worth listening to and I follow that and then I see what emerges. And so that's how it looks to me today. And I know that it, you know, and it looked different to me for a long time. And that's okay too. I was where I was when I was there, you know. <laughs>
And then I did have one final question I picked up when you said, you know, for those of us who make TED Talks, we need to do a talk a few years later about what we wanted <laughs> to change in our TED Talk or what we learned since then. And I wonder if we can end on that note. Um, what are the what are the reflections you've had that you think are important kind of footnotes, if you will, at this point? Well, the, the simplest way to say it is that um, I kind of couldn't resist giving a recipe. You know, if you want to kind of overcome your inner hero, you make a big statement about something you don't know how to do it. And you, you know, you, you invite other people into the process and, and you get really interested in meetings. Um, I don't think that, um, I don't think that we need recipes. I think our ability, we are designed to be interdependent. And the only time that we're not independent is when we're stirred up and disconnected, like I was talking about early on. Our, our default position is interdependence. That's where we are home. And that's where we do our best work. So every time that you're thinking heroic thoughts, in a big context or in a small context. I'm sorry, I've got something in my throat. <clears throat> it just means you're caught up. Settle down and something will occur to you. And maybe it'll be making a statement about doing something that you don't know how to do. Or maybe it'll be something else. But home is connection. Always. Lorna Davis, what a uh, deeply feeling, heart-led, brave, truth-teller, generous human who always connects and makes connections for people. So great to have you here starting off uh, our year in the Inner MBA. Thanks for listening. Please make sure to leave your comments on this interview here on the platform. And if there's a socially conscious CEO that you'd like us to interview as part of the Inner MBA, please let us know at innermba at soundstrue.com. <laughs>